Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. Good morning. Muy buenos días y feliz Navidad. I believe in Merry Christmas. I like it. I like saying it. I like hearing it. So if you haven't heard it yet this year, Merry Christmas. That was pretty weak. Merry Christmas. Now I've heard it. I'm a big believer in it. I, I like saying it. I, I like Christmas. It's, the, it's my favorite season. My wife likes Thanksgiving, and I understand that. But I, it's one day. I like Christmas because it lasts in America now from Halloween until the end of January. <laughs> Are any of you on uh, Satellite XM radio? Anybody? I am. I spend my life in my car traveling all the time. And there's a channel I like, which is a 40s channel. It plays big band music, Glenn Miller, stuff like that, and uh, Cab Calloway. And, but on the day after Halloween, it's not after Thanksgiving, the day after Halloween, the 40s music goes away, and it's all Christmas music. And I start playing Christmas music. I mean, I soak Christmas for everything it's worth. <laughs> so I've been preaching here every December for eight years. This is my eighth December here, and it's always been, well, thank you. It's always been the first Sunday in December, but this year, due to a complication in my schedule, Pastor was gracious enough to let me come on the second Sunday, which pushes it closer to Christmas. Well, nobody ever invites a guest speaker at Christmas, and I understand that. So I, I have, for about 15 years... I have not preached a Christmas message. So somebody asked me, am I, am I pastoring a church now? And I'm, I'm not, I'm in remission. But, <laughs> but I have about 15 years of Christmas sermons that are backed up. <laughs> so buckle in. If you have your Bible, if you'll take those, of course, when you think of Christmas, immediately you think, Uh, of Luke chapter 2, and I know that's probably where you're turning. Instead, I want you to turn to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, that is not the Apostle John. That's John Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Look at the very first 
part of verse 14. This is the key verse. And the word was made flesh. Look at it again. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Put your hands on your Bible, if you will, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, with our hands on the word and our hearts and minds as open as we know how to get them, we're asking you to do all the rest. Rush in over the threshold of our souls. Speak to us deep within, whether we want to hear it or not. Overwhelm our every resistance and speak to us that when we leave here this morning, we will say one to another, surely the Lord has spoken unto us. In the mighty name, Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen and amen. I was preaching somewhere recently and as a guest as always, and before the service, a man came up to me and said, I know you used to be a university president. I hope we're not going to get theology this morning. He said, I just, I don't like it when they preach theology. <laughs> Listen to Dr. Mark. If you're not preaching theology, what are you preaching? That's all we've got is biblical theology. There are all kinds of people. I hear it said all the time. Oh, I'm no theologian. Yes, you are. A the theology is simply what you believe to be true about God. So there are a lot of people who say I'm no theologian. It just means they're bad ones. <laughs> so this morning, I want to deal with a very specific aspect of Christmas, and that is the theology of the incarnation. The theology of the incarnation. It is not used in the, the word incarnation is not used in the passage that we read, but it is there clearly, and it is the first part of verse 14. And the word was made flesh. Now, flesh in all the Romance languages, Latin and Spanish and all of those, is some version of the word carne. We use it all the time, especially here in Texas. I'm a Texan. We use it all the time. After church, you go to some Mexican restaurant and you order chili con carne. It means chili with flesh in it, carne. So the incarnation is actually God with flesh on him. The incarnation. It depends. It, 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 is, it is absolutely indispensable that we understand the theology of Christmas, amidst all of the, the fun and the giving and the, and the merriment. And I'm, I'm in all of that. Listen to me. If you got a Christmas party at your house, invite me. I, I will go to one every night. I love it. I love I told you, just saying Merry Christmas. I saw some Grinch online the other day, a Christian Grinch. Imagine that. And he was berating Christians for saying Merry Christmas. He said, you ought not to say Merry Christmas. It's secular. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound reverent. Listen to me. It is through the gift that we were given at Christmas that our souls are saved. We are redeemed from death and the grave. If it doesn't make you merry, something's wrong with you. But what is the theology that lies at the base of that? And it is this. That you remember the Christmas hymn, we don't sing Christmas hymns much anymore. Do you remember? Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Till he appeared. 
Long lay the world means thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years from the, the sin in the Garden of Eden when humanity is cast out of the Garden of Eden from that moment until the appearing of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the world in darkness and in bondage tried everything in the world to work our way back to God. We tried to get better, be better, act better, think better, obey the law, follow the rules. All kinds of religions were invented, all kinds of, all kinds of ways to make our way back to God and the Garden of Eden. But nothing worked. Long lay the world in sin and error, theological error. Until what? Till he appeared. So what we waited on was some instrument of God to do for us what we, by our works, could not do for ourselves. And that is, redeem me from my sin. So how would God do that? The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So we had to have some sacrifice a sacrifice of blood that would forgive us of our sins. That blood had to be poured out on the eternal mercy seat in heaven. Therefore, it had to be real blood. An angel couldn't die for us because angels can't bleed. We had to have someone to die for us, but it had to be someone who was perfect. How could a sinful man die for other sinful men? So this was the conundrum. How can there be a sinless man? There's never been a sinless man. How can there be a sinless man who is a real man, who is capable of a blood death, who will death, who will die that blood death and will pour his own blood out on the eternal mercy seat so that our sins may be forgiven? How could that even happen? So God takes, sends his word, the word through which everything that is in existence was spoken into existence. The word which was the pre-existent second person, eternal second person of the Trinity. That was there and was God. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. And it was through that word that God spoke the first ray of light into existence. That word existed with God, was God. Now that word is spoken into existence supernaturally into the womb of a virgin girl named Mary. And Mary said the same question that we would ask. How can this happen? She says, I'm a virgin. And the angel says, the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive. And that holy thing that is within you will be the Son of God, the Word. And the Word became flesh. So that baby inside of her womb... Now, this is critically important. It sounds simple, but many people miss it. The baby was a real baby. The baby was a real baby. Go back to your childhood catechism. When you took catechism in elementary school, that Jesus was very God and very man. This is the miracle of the incarnation. He wasn't half God and half man. If he's only God from the waist up, that's not Christian theology. That's Greek mythology. He's not half God. He's altogether God and altogether human, altogether at the same time. That's the miracle of the incarnation. So when that baby is born into, is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, at that moment, now listen to this, it's very important. He is a human baby. 
who is also the pre-existent co-eternal word. The word became flesh. That baby is a real baby. Now, but that human baby has to come into the world the same way every human baby comes into the world. Jesus didn't enter the world like, you know, full grown from the forehead of Zeus. He had to be born. He had to push down a birth con- the birth canal of a woman and enter. So I'm, I'm going to shock you with this. Stay with me. There was nothing supernatural about the birth of Jesus. There was nothing supernatural about the birth of Jesus. His conception was the supernatural part. The birth was natural. It had everything about it that happens with every birth, except in the extent that every birth is a miracle to a certain extent. But only in that sense was it a miracle. The birth of Jesus was not a miracle. It was a girl alone in a cattle stall whose only midwife is his, is her betrothed husband who is saying to himself, I did not sign on for this. <laughs> so all that, that birth had all of the pain and the fluid and the blood and everything else, a real baby. But we like to talk about the divine part of Jesus. We don't like to stare too directly at the human part of Jesus. So we tidy it up. We do it at Christmas time, especially. We tidy it up. You remember the Christmas hymn, Away in a Manger? Away in a Manger, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, the little Lord Jesus. No crying he makes. What's up with that? The baby Jesus couldn't cry. He didn't have like tear ducts and all. No, we just don't like the idea of the little Lord Jesus laying there squalling his lungs out. Listen, no crying he makes. Where are the mothers that gave birth to babies? Will you raise your hand? Did yours crying they made? Um, We had three. Mine crying they made. Sometimes like all night. I cherish the idea of Joseph pacing up and down in that cattle stall at three in the morning with a crying baby. saying, oh God, I'm not asking you to make him the Messiah. Just make him sleep. But we don't like the idea of the little Lord Jesus squalling his lungs out. Let me tell you something else. Not only did the little Lord Jesus crying he made, if I haven't shocked you so far, this should do it. Everything else that babies make, he made. Put that on a Christmas card. No, that's important. It's theologically and biblically important that If Jesus was not a real baby who created all the problems that babies make, babies have demand at one end and urgency at the other. If he was not a real baby, then he cannot understand us when we are at our filthiest worst, when we need someone else to come and clean us up. Jesus understands our humanity. The book of Hebrews says we do not have a high priest who cannot identify with our humanity. Jesus understands what it means to be human because the historical figure Jesus was human and God all at the same time from the moment of his conception. Now, that has to unfold in the reality of the human experience. 
So when that baby is born, yes, he's altogether human. Yes, he's altogether God, but he's a baby. Babies are not aware of themselves as human beings. They have to grow into that awareness. Some of you who are the parents of junior high school boys, you're still waiting for that to happen, but, but they do become aware of themselves as human beings. But a baby is not self-aware. When they placed that baby at Mary's breast, was, was he lying there thinking, I'm the pre-existent, co-eternal second person of the Trinity? Was he thinking about his, his miracles, his signs, his wonders, his crucifixion, or resurrection, and ascension? He wasn't. He was just looking for milk. So as he was born in the natural process of human birth and began to grow, the Bible says he grew in favor with God. He began to understand his godness and his humanity. He had to grow in favor with God and with humanity. So he begins, a small child, think of this, begins to recapture his memory of pre-existence with God before light is spoken into existence and his understanding that he was God. He is God. And the Word became flesh. The Word was with God and was God and the Word became flesh. Can you, can you imagine how that must feel in the mind of a little 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old boy who is beginning to recapture his pre-existence, and his pre-existent language. Remember, God doesn't speak English. He understands your English. But when God thinks, does you think God thinks in English? My friend in Jerusalem, Doran, he says God thinks in Hebrew, but it isn't even Hebrew. What is the native language of God? It's God. God speaks God. God thinks in God. He thinks within himself. When he said, let us make man in our own image, what, was, what language was he speaking? He was speaking inside the enclosed society of the divine Godhead to himself within himself. He's thinking in God. We used to speak God. When Adam and God walked together in the cool of the evening, they weren't speaking English. They were speaking God. But following his, his ejection from the Garden of Eden and then subsequently the Tower of Babel, we not only don't speak God anymore, we can't even understand each other. Every married man in the room knows what I'm talking about right now. So when Jesus comes, he begins to think in his native language, which is God. But he's speaking to people that don't speak God. So he has to take that and squeeze it through the toothpaste tube of his incarnate reality, the flesh in which he lives, to speak to people who only speak human. As a result of that, almost everything he says makes no sense to anybody. Every room Jesus left, everybody in the room is asking two questions. Who is that guy? And what was he talking about? It appears at his bar mitzvah, when he's 12 years old. You remember they left him behind in Jerusalem thinking he was in the caravan. When they realize he's not there, they go back and it says Mary and Joseph were wroth with him. They were angry and they berated him. You frightened us. We thought you were in the group. Why did you do this? And Jesus says, knew ye not, I must be about my father's business. And the next verse is a brilliant burst of biblical understatement. It says, and they knew not that which he spoke. 
Why not? It's a simple question. Knew ye not? I must be about my father's business. And they knew not that which he spoke. Why not? It's because he's using words at two different levels. He's got to use words that humans understand, but he's using them to mean God stuff. So he says, I know you know things, but don't you know anything? Do you just live at the level of what you know? Don't you know anything? Knew you not that I must be about my father's business? Okay, Joseph's my father, but he's not my father. I have a father. He's not my father, but he's my father. And he is my father, but he's not my father. And Joseph has a business. I know he has a business, but my father has a business. Okay, it's not a business, but it's a business. Knew you not, I must be about my father's business. And they knew not that which he spoke. It happens throughout his entire ministry. A lot of people think stuff in the Bible is not funny. Some of it rips me up. Here's one. Think about this. We've had 2,000 years to work with this. But imagine hearing this for the first time. Jesus says, imagine you're on the front row when Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Oh, yeah, that's going to work. Sounds like a Stephen King novel, doesn't it? The night the dead buried the dead. It's because Jesus is using death at two different levels. He is dealing with a conversation that began between God and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So the devil says to Eve, did God say to you that when you ate that fruit, you would die? He said, you will not die. You're not going to die. He says, God just says that stuff. You're not going to die. And Eve ate of the fruit and seeing that it was good to open one's eyes and to give one wisdom, she gave it to the man and the man did eat. Here's my question for you. It's a real question. When they ate that fruit, did they drop down dead? No, they didn't. So they said to God, you told us we eat the fruit and we die. We didn't die. God said, you're dead. Trust me. So there's spiritual death and physical death. Jesus is tapping into that same conversation. Or here's another one. This is my favorite. Jesus is in a room full of Jewish people. It's packed. There's no room for anybody else to come in. Philip and Andrew come to him and say there are two Gentiles at the door and they want to come in. Should we bring them in or not? And Jesus says, here's his answer. Jesus says, Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bring forth a great harvest. But if it falleth into the ground and dieth, it bringeth forth a great harvest. That's his answer. I can just imagine Philip and Andrew leaving the room and they say to each other, do you think he meant like yes or no? But they're thinking of those two Gentiles at that door. Jesus is thinking of transcendent reality. He says, as long as I'm confined in this flesh seed pod, how big of a room can we build to get Jews and Gentiles in the room? But if I will go into the grave and be raised up as a worldwide harvest of the body of Christ, then all the Gentiles forever can step over the threshold into the commonwealth of Israel. That haunts his entire ministry. That's the... That's the challenge of the incarnation. If it wasn't real, if he wasn't a real human being, he cannot die for us. But if he is a real human being, he doesn't look like God. He does, there, Jesus didn't glow in the dark. If he had walked into every room with new age music playing in the background and shafts of purple light coming out from underneath his fingernails, I think people would have guessed. 
The problem was he looked human. And regardless of what you may think, Jesus was not handsome. Hollywood misses this entirely. You'll never see a Hollywood movie with an ugly Jesus. But the book of Isaiah says he was not handsome, that anybody would even want to look at him. I got to tell you, at this stage of my life, I find that verse extremely comforting. (laughs) And the fact that you laughed didn't help either. (laughs) I'm thinking about making my next book titled The God of the Ugly. No, he just looked regular. He just looked human. God in a totally human body, that's the mixture in which he did everything that he did. It didn't look like God, but it acted like God, was God, was preexistent, the co-eternal word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, but it was real flesh. It had to be flesh because he had to die a blood death. If Jesus, people say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher or Jesus was a great miracle worker. If he had taught everything that he taught, worked every miracle that he worked, lived a sinless life and died of pneumonia in a nursing home at 95, we're all going to hell. He had to die a blood death without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sins. Therefore, he had to be human to shed blood and he had to be God so that he could ascend to God the Father Almighty and pour his own blood out on the mercy seat. That is the reason I believe that Satan hates babies. I think he wants to kill every baby he possibly can because that which defeated him ultimately and finally came as a baby, a real baby. And from the very moment of his birth, demonic forces like Herod began to seek his death. The baby was born to die. I have a good friend who's retired from the ministry now. Now that I think of it, almost everybody I know is either dead or retired. He had a small church in a small Georgia town. He put a nativity scene out in front of the church. Beautiful, little pastel, had blue lights shining on it. Everything you think of, a pretty little pretty little nativity scene, had a tall steeple on the church. And about halfway up the steeple, using guy wires, he mounted at a 45-degree angle an ugly black cross. And then he put a spotlight on the top of the steeple shining on the back of the cross so that it cast the shadow of a cross right across the manger. And it freaked that town out. People were calling the police. He got threats. The city council called him and asked him to take it down because they didn't want to contemplate the ugly reality of the cross while they're looking at the sweet little manger scene. Listen, this year when you look at a manger scene, that's great. Rejoice. Tell each other Merry Christmas. Give gifts. But remember, that baby was born to die. That's the purpose that he came. From the moment of his conception, the cross was his destiny. Now, now what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us beyond our salvation? What does it mean to our lifestyle? It means this. Listen, we don't have to make it look religious. We don't have to make it seem spiritual. We also don't have to glow in the dark. And if nobody has told you this, let me break it to you. 
You don't glow in the dark. You look just as human as the rest of us. And we all look human to the world. That was the problem with Jesus. Jesus looked human. He was human. What about the resurrection of Lazarus? Don't you think when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, four days dead? I love the prissy language of the King James Bible. He says, roll away the stone. And Martha says, by now he stinketh. (laughs) Jesus says, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. And this dead man, the cells of his body, which are beginning to decay, reassemble and receive life. And he walks out. Don't you think somebody in the crowd must have said, I don't know, I'm just guessing here, Messiah. (laughs) And maybe they did. The problem was not the resurrection of Lazarus. The problem was when they left the cemetery and walked back to Lazarus' house for lunch in the hot Middle Eastern sun, Jesus, who has just raised the dead, is wiping sweat off his forehead. The sweat was the problem. Don't you see? Everybody believes God can raise the dead. Can God sweat? That's the problem. Imagine you're one of the disciples. You're just trying to figure out who Jesus is. You see him work miracles, cast out demons, walk on water, calm the storm. You wake up one night in the middle of the night and you stare across the glowing embers of the campfire and Jesus is asleep on his bedroll. And he's not sleeping like God, whatever that is. He looks like your brother-in-law on the couch. And you look at him and you remember him making a blind man see. And you say, he, maybe he's... And then you look at the... And you say, no. Jesus never tidied it up for us. He was God in the flesh. That is the theology of the incarnation. And without that theological truth, we lose every significant meaning of Christmas. It becomes nothing but a way to give somebody presents. Or, if you'd like my address, to receive presents. (laughs) So what about us? That means we don't have to tidy it up for anybody either. We never have to, and in fact, we dare not try to make ourselves look spiritual for the rest of the world. We have to live in our own humanity. We have to live in who we are. I'm not talking about living unrighteous lives or wickedness. I'm talking about being real. Just being real, being who we are. Here is a great truth. Know ye not the kingdom of God is within you. But what that means is... Nobody else may be able to see it. Nobody else may be able to discern that. You don't walk down the street and somebody look at you and say, whoa, I see Jesus. And when you try to tidy it up and make look, you just look false and artificial and, and, it, and it casts a bad light on it. Just be who you are with Christ within you. That is also incarnational in a sense. Here, Paul says, is the secret. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But the hope of glory means that it's not yet realized. Nobody looks at the church and says, wow, boy, I want to look like them. 
They don't, trust me. But the fact of the matter is, they don't know what we will look like. I, uh, I was preaching at a church in Los Angeles some years ago, and at the front desk, for some reason, the concierge had two tickets to go see the Los Angeles Philharmonic. It's a fabulous all-Mozart program conducted by Zubin Mehta. I said, he said, would you like these tickets? They're free. I said, yeah. So I called a friend of mine who was the associate pastor at a mega church in Anaheim, and I said, I got these free tickets. Please come and go with me. I don't know where the auditorium is. I don't know how to get there. He said, oh, he said, I hate that stuff. I don't want to go to a symphony. I said, come on, you might like it. Go with me. I said, I'll take you to a steak dinner. We'll go eat steak and then go and just come and go with me. He said, oh, okay. So we went and ate steak. We went into the concert. And you know, the, the musicians all come out and take their place. They pick their instruments up and they begin to tune their instruments, you know. You've been there, right? My friend turns to me and he says, you like this? I said, this is not it. They're tuning up. So when somebody looks at you and says, I don't get church. I don't get it. Nobody looks very holy. Some of them are old. Some are young. Some are old, fat. Some are skinny. Some are bald. They all just look human. I don't understand worship. I don't understand the music. I don't understand all this. This is what you want. Here's what you say. This is not it. We're tuning up. The Bible puts it this way. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. Nobody can look at us and tell what we will look like in our glorified bodies. Do you think I'm going to be this short in heaven? Where's some guys here that understand what I'm saying now? We're going to get some hair back. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When that incarnate reality of Christ within you breaks free of the humanity in which it dwells, you will step through either through death or through the rapture. You will step through into the effulgent reality of the kingdom that has been within you, which nobody else could see. And it will be there. That baby which was conceived supernaturally, the word which preexisted light before the first ray of light was spoken into existence, that truth, that reality, that word was God and with God became human flesh in the womb of a virgin girl, lived a human life and died a horrific, painful, horrible human death who experienced that in his humanity. In his humanity, it's humanity that cried out from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the human crying. But the divine says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That mixture, that mixture is the sublime, wonderful secret of Christmas. It's the reason that we have hope and joy. And it's the reason that we ought to be able to look anybody, anywhere in the eye 
no matter what, in the horrors of the war in Ukraine or to in the prosperous halls of a mansion in Houston, we ought to be able to look at anyone, anywhere, and say, Merry Christmas. God bless you. God bless the ark. Well, I know you enjoyed that. I could uh, uh, almost hear some of the wheels turning out there. Well, we, we, if you would, bow your heads, close your eyes. We never want to leave without giving an opportunity for someone to respond to what they've heard. Perhaps you're here this morning, and something that Dr. Mark has shared has just challenged you, and you realize that you're in need of the Savior that he's been talking about. If, uh, if, if you've never said yes to the Lord, we want to give you that opportunity to invite him into your life. And, or maybe you're here this morning and you've said yes in the past, and you at once time knew the Lord, but for whatever reason, you've gotten away from him. Today, we're going to say a prayer in a moment. We're not going to call anybody out or embarrass you in any way, but if you want in on that prayer, if you want to say yes to the Lord for the first time or you want to come back to him, then if you would, just raise your hand and say, Philip, include me in that prayer. Yes. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right, church family, we're going to do just what I said. We're going to pray this prayer together. Pray it out loud. Pray it from your heart. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I said yes to you. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.